The general title, Where is the Blessing? This is number three in the series, In Mercy and in Purity. Preached on March 14, 1971, in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown. The text, Matthew 5, 7 and 8. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew, the fifth chapter, the seventh verse. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Beatitudes 5 and 6. Throughout all of the teaching of Jesus, there recurs that theme which tells us that unless a man can forgive and be forgiving, he can really not be forgiven himself. Now we see this over and over again. We see it in those two verses that are at the conclusion of Matthew's account of what we call the Lord's Prayer. These two verses are there to underline and explain that particular partition. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And here Jesus is telling us that if we forgive men their trespasses, our Father in heaven will forgive our trespasses. But if we do not forgive our fellow man for their trespasses, neither will our Father in heaven forgive us our trespasses. And then you all know that very tragic story that Jesus told about the unforgiving debtor, and that he ends that story with a stern warning to everyone who reads it. My Father in heaven will do also unto you if you do not forgive your brother with your whole heart. It's in the Bible over and over and over again, many times in different ways from the lips of our Lord himself, that if you are not merciful, you cannot receive mercy or obtain it. Now this particular theme has caused many people to mistakenly believe that God has us involved in some tit-for-tat scheme that all we have to do is to forgive someone and automatically, instantaneously, we shall be forgiven. The idea being that if I want someone or God to have mercy upon me, all I have to do is to go out and have mercy on someone else. That is not what this theme is trying to tell us, and it couldn't because we know the opposite to be true. How many times have you, in trying to do justly and loving mercy, 
have forgiven someone and been merciful unto that person for some offense, only to find that another person refuses to be merciful unto you for a similar or lesser offense. Take Jesus Christ himself. There was not a more merciful person ever to live upon the face of the earth. No matter who it was that came to him, if they said, Lord, have mercy upon us, he always responded. He had mercy upon those who were sick in body and in mind, and he healed them. He had mercy upon those outcasts with whom no one else would speak. He had mercy upon little children who wanted to come unto him and whom parents and adults wanted to drive away. He had mercy upon foreigner and Samaritan who crossed his path. He truly had everlasting mercy, mercy like no one who has ever lived upon the face of the earth. But that does not necessarily mean that people were merciful unto him. No, look what his mercy got him. A betrayal by one of his best friends. The rest of his disciples forsook him. He was merciful, but what kind of mercy did he receive? A condemnation from the religious officials of his day, a flogging by the, by the Roman army a crown of thorns, a cross upon which to die. God sent his Son into the world to show God's mercy. And the world responded with the words, Crucify him, crucify him. Just do not think that because you are merciful to someone, another, for God will be merciful unto you. That, that, that's not exactly what this means. Nor does it mean, as some people think, that this is a scheme which makes Jesus look like the boss of a bribery system. In other words, he will not forgive us until we forgive someone else. And he holds this over us. His mercy not to be granted until we are merciful unto someone else. Now that, that, that's not what it means. Jesus Christ, your God, will, will not be merciful unto us until we show mercy, because he cannot show mercy to anyone except those people who are merciful. That's what God's trying to get through to us in this teaching. You see, if you cannot have mercy to, to some poor individual who has stumbled and, and fallen and offended you, it is simply because you do not have any understanding at all or no claim as being an obtainer of that possession of God's mercy which has been granted unto you. The Bible tells us that we can love because God first loved us. 
The only way we can know what true mercy is and to be merciful unto another is if first we have experienced the mercy of God ourselves. God, you see, can enable us to be merciful unto others only as we have obtained the mercy which God himself has given to us. If we don't have mercy, we can't be merciful. You see, the Greek word in here that we so poorly translate, merciful and mercy, it, it means more than just feeling sorry for someone. It means more than just being sympathetic with another who's having a lot of trouble or who has a lot of sin. It means to have the ability to literally crawl almost into another person's skin so that you are able to see things through that person's eyes, to think things through that person's mind, to feel things through that person's feeling. To have that ability to be so at one with another that you do this not to try and condemn or to condone, but to try and understand and to see and to feel as that person has so that you can forgive, so that you can understand and, and have mercy. Now, who, for goodness sake, would want to really crawl into another's person's body and skin, a person who is dirty, a person who has fallen, a person who is sinful, a person who has been caught? Who would ever want to crawl into that type of a person to try and think through his mind and, and to see through his eyes and to feel through his feelings? There's only one type of person that will try to understand and try to give mercy. And that is the individual who claims to be a possessor of that truth where he knows that another has stooped down to him to try to understand him and, and to think through his feelings and mind and see through his eyes. And he knows that that individual is God. You see, that's really what God did in Jesus Christ, is it not? He literally put himself into the skin of man, and God came in Jesus Christ to see this world through man's eyes, to, to think in this world through man's mind, to, to feel through this world with man's feelings. And this is the great teaching of the book of Hebrews, you see, that in Jesus Christ, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but rather we have an individual who, in every respect, always, he was tempted, and he knew everything that we know, yet he did not sin. And when we know this individual came just, just to sympathize with us and understand us and to forgive us, it is then that with confidence, you see, that we can draw near to the throne of grace and receive mercy and be merciful unto others who are weak. Yes. The great joy, the great happiness, you see, in being able to be merciful unto another comes first of all with the great joy and happiness that you know that 
God has been merciful unto you. And it's strange, ladies and gentlemen, the more you try to understand other people and to get in under their skin, not to agitate, but to understand them, the more you try not just to condone or excuse or to condemn, but to try to understand so that you can forgive, the happier you can come because in doing this you realize how much the more God has been merciful unto you. You can just not wallow down in someone else's sorrow and sadness trying to give mercy without growing in understanding and how merciful God has been to you. So blessed are those people who can show mercy and be merciful, for they obtain more. Or as the New English Bible states, they shall see mercy and shall obtain it. And then blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now what does it mean, see God? What did Jesus have in his thinking when he said, you can see God? Have you ever seen God? Some people interpret this saying of Jesus as thinking that he was meaning, you shall see God, yes, when you die and go to heaven. Not before, only in the heavenly mansion. Then there are others that say, oh no, 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 you can see God on this earth through some mystical experience or by traveling to some specific shrine. You can see some outline of, of some proportion that calls itself God. They say that's what Jesus meant. Well, I'm sure we'll see God in the hereafter. I must admit I'm a little leery of those who claim they can see him in some dimension or proportion here on earth. What I really think Jesus was trying to say is that, ladies and gentlemen, you can see God here, today, now. You can see him in, in people. You can see him in your work. You can see him in your families. You, you, can, you can see him, you see. In individuals, they're not just problems, they're, they're people, and you can see in people God. It is altogether possible, I think, that Jesus is saying, you can see God in, in the perplexities of this day, in the current events, in the experiences that come to you. You, you can see more than just frustration and despair. You can see God. Now the important thing is that Jesus is trying to say here, I think, is that the people though that can see God are the special people, those who are able to see him. You see, it's a fact of life, ladies and gentlemen, that we can see only what we are able to see. Like last night, and wasn't it a beautiful night, just beyond the full moon, you could go out and you could look up into the sky as I did and, and you can see just little pinpoints of light. 
You know, and that was all that I was able to see because that was all that I was fit to see. But an astronomer could have gone out there last night and he could have seen far more because he knows the stars. He knows them by name. He can call the planets by their proper titles. He walks among them like, like their friend. Because, you see, he is able to see. He has trained himself to see. He has the ability to see what I do not. Well, just as this is true in the physical sense, it is true in the emotional and, and the spiritual sense as well. We can see only that which we are able to see. And the individual, Jesus tells us, who is able to see God is that individual who has a pure heart. Now, what does that mean? We've had debates about this in the church for about 2,000 years. There are those who say that the pure in heart are those individuals who have no feelings towards the flesh or sex. These are these individuals who have achieved some particular level of sanctification and perfection. There are those that say that the pure in heart are those that have gotten to such a high level of holiness that now they are able to look over the top and to see God. That's not what the Greek says, ladies and gentlemen. For when you look at this word in its Greek form, katharos, it, it does not mean any of these things. It, it is that particular word that is used to explain and to describe wine that has no water in it. It is that particular word which is used to describe milk that is has no additives whatsoever and is absolutely clean. It is that word which is used of an army to, to tell of the experience that it has had of ridding itself of ineffective, inefficient, cowardly soldiers. It is that word which is used to describe metal that does not have one little tinge of alloy. It is the Greek word which is used to, to speak of the unmixed, unadulterated, unpolluted, unalloyed. And what Jesus is trying to say is happy are those people who are unmixed, unpolluted, unadulterated, unalloyed in their motives. For these people shall see God. The individual, you see, who is unmixed in his motivation. The individual who has decided once and for all that he's going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, no matter what it costs. That individual who has come to the decision that he can no longer serve God and mammon. It's either one or the other. That individual who has given up playing the games of society, those double standard games where we try to become something that we are not. That individual who decides that he's going to be ruthlessly honest with himself and to concentrate at the very center of his being on the highest and the best that he knows. The pure in heart, you see, is that individual who does not skip from here or to there, but has made up his mind and determination and prays for God's help 
that he will have the ability to love and serve God only. That's the pure in heart. And when we have this type of direction, this unadulterated, unmixed motivation, no matter what our age, no matter what our situation or condition in life, we get a glimpse of God. And the more we go upon that one-way trip, searching towards that one and long goal of serving God, every person that we meet and every event that we experience, we get a clear and clear picture of God until at the end of the full dimension of our existence in the moment of death as the Bible says we shall then see God face to face yes blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy and blessed are the pure in heart they shall seek God. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he who has eyes to see, let him see. Amen. Our Father and our God be with, we pray, all of thy children who are in this day and in this place and throughout the world want to show mercy and want to see God. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.